see a couple of uh, out-of-towners come in for the wedding for the weekend. Appreciate you coming along tonight. And uh, it's, uh, just pray for John and Chloe as they get married on Saturday. Pray for the weather. Pray for, uh, for them as they, um, they start a new journey together. And uh, looking forward also for us as a church as well for ministry market for Sunday. And I've been praying, anticipating that the Lord will do something that day and just praying that, uh, that our church will just have a heart to commit to serve the Lord in different parts of our ministry. So I hope you've been praying about that as well. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 6 tonight. And I'll be honest with you, um, I'm going to preach something tonight that I'm still working on. I hope that's okay. Um, you know, I think sometimes we can come across as pastors as being experts in what we're preaching. But often the case is as we delve into Scripture and we look at the, the challenge of Scripture, uh, if we're honest, between us and the Lord, we fall short. And um, just looking at this, and um, I hesitate because it's really difficult to, to live this, but Acts chapter 6, look at verse 8. We're going to look at a, a character in the Bible. He was really one of the deacons of the church, and yet he was a, a man who was a tremendous preacher, and his name's Stephen. And in verse 8, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles upon, among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So they were hearing what he was preaching about, and so they're disputing that with him, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And we know earlier that in his appointment as as a really a, a, one of the first deacons of the church, he was a man full of faith under the Holy Ghost. And so a spiritual man. Then they suborned, which said, he, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now we understand that that's a false accusation. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on, on him saw his face as, as it had been the face of an angel. So they're looking at Stephen and, and arguing ab about the things that he was preaching. He, of course, he was simply preaching Christ, wasn't he? And we see that, that because of that, it upset the, the balance of the day. The, the religious uh, leaders of the day were upset by that. They wanted to, to keep the law and so forth. And so Stephen is arrested at this point. He gets placed in front of a, in front of a bit of a kangaroo court. They've already basically made up their mind that he was guilty. And skip down, look at chapter 7 now, the next chapter, look at verses 54 to 60, and, and notice Stephen here. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. So he kept preaching Christ. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing 
on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. And notice the words, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's a pretty amazing story when you think about the the ordeal that Stephen went through. He was falsely accused. He was just being a man full of the Holy Ghost, faithful to be a witness for Christ. And here he was going through a great deal of suffering. And I think about the, the, that circumstance and, and immediately, if I'm honest with you, I'm thankful that we live in this day. Because as a gospel preacher, no doubt, I, in my mind, I'd rather not go through a stoning. But we see this man, he was, he was there for that season of history, right there in the early church. And with courage and with boldness, full of the Holy Ghost, he did what he was supposed to do, and he suffered for it. And what we see here in in the life of Stephen, I think, is just a a testimony of grace. You know, often when we think about grace, we we go a little bit, um, a certain distance before we then withhold grace. I think we understand that you know, we, we ought to be people full of grace when we come to a point of disagreement with someone where it's really not consequential. We understand, really, we can offer grace. We certainly offer grace to those that we have an obligation to, those that we have a commitment to, and uh, maybe friends or relatives or uh, those within our home, sometimes even with our, our spouses, our children. We offer grace because we know that there's a, there's a connection there, there's a love. And I think we understand that. We can at times, um, at times offer grace because it's warranted, it's, it's easy. And we can, we can receive someone in all of their faults because at the end there's a, there's a connection there. But, um, and, and that's needful, isn't it? We ought to show grace, right? You know, showing grace to others is, is grace indeed. Showing grace when it's needful, it, that is a grace in itself. We need God's grace for that. And, and, and we somewhat understand when there's a relationship there, there's a connection there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an obligation to show grace. But what we see in the life of Stephen, I think, is a godly grace. And what that is, is showing grace to those whose hands at times trouble us or even harm us. And what we see there is as he looks at those who held the very stones and spoke the very words that accused him falsely, we see Stephen right at the end of his life show a bit of grace by saying something here that to me is an incredible thing. And the, the, we have no doubt, uh, we, we have no reason to doubt it, the, the scriptures record it for us, but he simply says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. The very moment that he was gasping his last breath, at the very moment where he, the, the very ones that had accused him and had put him in the place where he was going to be harmed, he goes on and he, he says these words. And that's an amazing thing. You know, really, in all, in all honesty, from a human perspective, 
Stephen didn't need any kind of justification to just either shut his mouth or curse these people. From a human perspective, it would have made logical sense because they were the ones that had harmed him. They were the ones that had maimed him. They were the ones that had accused him to begin with. And here he was showing godly grace. Here he was in the, the, this very moment. And, and that's why at the beginning I said, you know, I'm still working on this. Because I know that, that my limit isn't his limit right there. I know that sometimes I curse people for much lesser. <laughs> There's times where, where really it, it takes a little thing to trigger me and, and suddenly the grace is, is no longer there. And suddenly the, 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 the thoughts of anger and the thoughts of malice, the thoughts of revenge, of judgment, suddenly come to mind. And, and right there we see that, that there's a limit to my own grace. And yet we, we see that, that really when it comes down to it, that as much as we look at Stephen, it was because he had Christ in him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. And notice what the Bible tells us. Because I think sometimes as Christians, again, we live in a comfortable situation. But there might come a time where we have to demonstrate this. In verses, verses 16 to 18, he says this, Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So firstly, can I just say, let's make sure that we have a good conscience. That, that there's no suffering that we undertake because of our own evil doing. That, that, that we're suffering for righteousness' sake. In verse 17, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now we understand that when we get chastened, when we go through some chastening, or we pay for the consequences of our wrong actions and our wrong beliefs and our wrong thinking, we understand when we go through that, but we often don't equate suffering and, and being done wrong to when we're well-doing. We, we don't think that's just. We don't think that that can be explained at all. But actually, when, when you consider Christ, and you consider what he, he taught in his life, even the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if, you, if an enemy strikes you on your cheek, turn the other cheek and let him strike that too. And we understand then the, the, the immensity of, of what we're supposed to be in Christ, because he says it's better. It's better for us. If the will of God be so that we suffer for well-doing. Then he goes on, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And, you know, there's a greater example that we have. We have, we have Stephen as an example. He was a man just like you and I. We're just humans. And yet, because of Christ in him and because of the example of Christ, he was able to show a godly grace. He was, he was able to show a greater capacity for grace. And I think about some, some modern examples. I think about Corrie Ten Boom, who went through the, the Holocaust and was a, a prisoner herself. And somehow he got, she got out and became a great testimony for the Lord. And the story goes that many years later, she was attending a, a conference and one of, the, one of the men she recognized immediately was a prison guard. 
It's one of the Nazi prison guards. And there he was, he had come up to share, uh, she had come to share her testimony, and there he was in the crowd. And what do you know it, who was waiting for her? As she exited that auditorium, it was the very man that stood guard to keep her in prison. And she, he came up to this lady, and at first she was taken aback, but he began to tell her that he had gotten saved that he had accepted Christ as his Savior and had been forgiven of his sins and in, in great humility came to her to apologize. And you know what? This dear lady who suffered great torment in the hands of that man shook that man's hand and said, I'm forgiven also. You know, I think about that and it doesn't compute in my mind. And I wonder if, if I have that in me. And, you know, the, that, that, that dear lady who suffered great torment, who suffered a great deal, showed a greater capacity of grace. It was godly grace. But then I, I think about another, a, a pastor friend of mine who was uh, living uh, around the area we live in now, and he came home one night and had found out that his uh, house had got broken into, Several things had gotten damaged and things were stolen from his house. And this, this pastor, you know, obviously he called the police. Uh, that man just was found out. He got, got caught and he got put into prison. And this pastor friend of mine, I, personally, I would have just, good, but this pastor friend of mine visited this man in prison, sat down with him, led this man to Christ, and when he got out, trained this man for the ministry who went on to become a missionary somewhere on the islands. And I look at that and I go, would I have done the same? You know what that is? It's not because that man was special, it's because God did something in him. And, and I begin to think about, where am I at? Because see how we want to picture grace. We want grace that makes the hard things go away or go easy. But you know what grace does? It, it doesn't make the hard things go away. What grace does, grace illumines the hard things with eternal meaning and purpose. It, it highlights for us that there's actually greater than what we're going through. There's actually more to it. And and. I'll tell you why, because what we read earlier in Acts chapter 7, there was a certain man there who was watching. There was a certain man who was watching this man named Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, show godly grace during the, the, the worst time of his life. And that man, his name is Saul, who was a great tormentor of the church, who later became Paul, the apostle, who was the apostle to the Gentiles. And God entrusted with him the mysteries of the church and the mysteries of the gospel. And, and, and this testimony touched the life of this man's soul. And you know, sometimes we think that we go through and, and we suffer wrongly for no reason. But I want to tell you, at the very least, someone's watching. And at the very least, someone is seeing 
if actually God is real to us when it comes down to, to it. And, and what we, we see here, it's convicting for me, is that godly gr- grace goes beyond human logic. Godly grace sees even the hardest times and sees it in, in light of eternal meaning and purpose. And you never know, you never know who's watching you. You never know what difference that'll make because simply this, you went beyond and you had Christ in you. And I'm so glad, hey, listen, maybe we're not there yet. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're with me. But I want to, I want to tell you, I, I pray that we will get there. I pray that, that as God works in our lives, that we can show that godly grace and make a difference in someone's life one day. And so I appreciate the Lord because actually he showed that to me first. He showed me that kind of grace because I was at enmity at one point with him. And now he drew me and now he, he made atonement. And, and now I can have fellowship and I can have closeness with the Lord, with God, my Father. But God showed me grace first. And, and actually, if you're saved here tonight, that's you as well. And so I appreciate the Lord. And, you know, tonight we're going to take some prayer requests. I hope that you just take a little bit of time to pray. Maybe pray for someone that um, maybe did you wrong this week. That'd be a good place to start. Maybe pray for someone and not, not pray, Lord, judge them. <laughs> but maybe really pray for them and ask the Lord to help them. And, um, and so that's it. Godly grace. Thanks. Thank you.